For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. Mediators World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana. This is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. Fires rage on the West Coast. Currently, there are 41,051 active fires in the U.S., about 4.7 million acres have burned, including more than 3,500 structures. Hurricanes have slammed the Gulf Coast states. Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, and Texas. But don't go thinking the so-called flyover states are safe from the forces of nature. This next display of nature, courtesy of the Argus leader, may give you a jolt. Recently, 3,500 residents in Aberdeen, South Dakota, lost power to an unidentified bird dropping a garter snake on a northwestern energy substation. Northwestern Energy had the power restored shortly thereafter. In a positive turn of events, the garter snake, although singed, survived, which is shocking. The bird, or suspect in this case, is not expected to be charged. If that one sizzles you, maybe you feel like the lack of justice in this scenario leads to something fishy. This isn't a totally uncommon occurrence. In fact, about a year ago, as of this recording anyway, a walleye was dropped on a transformer in North Bay, Ontario, cutting off power to the town. According to Global News Canada, North Bay Hydro didn't have to fish long for the cause of the outage. If you think that raptors dropping stuff and causing power outages is cool, please go back and listen to Cal's Week in Review, episode 11, Firehawks. Ancient Worms and Old Yeller. According to a 2015 article found in Granite Geek looking at power outages specifically involving animals, they cite a New Hampshire rural electric co-op that averaged 56 animal-related outages a month. 
Nationwide, squirrels are the top animal for power outages. Pigeons and pigeon poop are high on the list. According to the BBC, a vervet monkey once knocked out power to Kenya. That's an entire country. 51.3 million people out of power, and the vervet monkey lived. My personal favorite when it comes to animals and power outages involves the Large Hadron Collider in Geneva, Switzerland, and a weasel. The weasel didn't make it. This week, we've got the pebble tapes, cave paintings, and not-so-permafrost. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week is sponsored, as is this podcast, by Steel Power Equipment. Makers of the finest backyard to lumberyard tree trunked tomato vine cutting and trimming equipment you can find. I'm packing my bags after this podcast and heading for Louisiana. I won't have my steel chainsaws with me, but I will have my steel pruning shears for duck blind maintenance and hopefully uh, fish decollaring. That's bang for your buck. Or duck for that matter, folks. Big announcement. Our Meat Eater Land Access Initiative is officially a success. Thank you, thank you to everyone who purchased Renella Putella's campaign merchandise, as well as bought auction items, as well as donated directly to the High Peaks Alliance. Shiloh Pond, the once private but publicly loved and utilized property in western Maine, is now publicly held. At least it's been approved to be publicly held. We're just going to say it's a done deal. So thank you. Through the Meat Eater Land Access Initiative, which included the merch and the auction, we raised a little more than $60,000, which went directly to the High Peaks Alliance for the purchase of the property. That's one thing to remember, as we all get frustrated and depressed, maybe oppressed, by election ads and calls and texts. Bobby Newport's never had a real job. In his life. Bobby Newport. Bobby Newport. Bobby Newport. Bobby Newport. Bobby Newport. Newport. Bobby. Bobby. Bobby Newport. All right, now we're just wasting time, Jerry. The Renella Patelis campaign, even though they are unelected, is following through with its campaign promises. Better hunting and fishing for America. More access. That's what you'd call a couple of go-getters right there, folks. The reason why I'm heading to Louisiana is for another episode of Cal's Week in Review. A visual one. Field reports. Trying to get that fully immersive conservation experience for everyone. We'll be looking at coastal erosion, saltwater intrusion, and hopefully eating a lot. Lastly, what folks really care about, the snort report. Thank you for offering that up. I apologize. I cannot remember who wrote that in. You'll have to write me back and remind me who you are so I can give you due credit. It's cute. Anyway, my almost five-month-old yellow lab, Snort, came down with a severely swollen lymph node. She's been on some antibiotics, and I try to make her relax in the evenings with a warm compress. I am a huge, huge softie. I said it, so you don't have to. The little dog is starting to figure out birds. We've been finding and flushing, but the shots have been hard to come by. She is a terror on the songbirds that are hanging out on the ground. Every time she flushes one, she looks back and gauges my level of interest. It's a lot of fun. Moving on to the anthropology desk. Recent analysis of fingerprints and cave paintings in Spain and France 
made between 13,000 and 7,000 years ago have revealed the likely age and sex of the painters, or at least whoever was around when the paint was still wet. According to a study in the journal Antiquity, researchers believe that they have identified the fingerprints of a 36-year-old male and a 10- to 16-year-old female. Our fingerprints grow, and the ridges within them spread out at a measurable pace. Cross-referencing fingerprints from a current sample, as in like you or I, allow for a reasonable guess at both age and sex. This study provides some insight into who these ancient peoples were, and possibly the reasons behind the need to paint. For instance, having both a 36-year-old male and a young female working on the same wall would shake the belief that painting was a hierarchical practice or reserved for a particular gender. In fact, analysis of many of the painted figures suggests that 75% of the paintings in French and Spanish rock art were created by female artists, which is interesting. Think about it. Way back then, 13,000 years ago, women and men hunted together. They gathered mollusks. They even painted cave walls. Sounds pretty well-rounded to me. Currently, female licensed hunters in the U.S., are only about 10% of all license sales. Now, to go back to the cave walls, if you were to consider the fact that 75% of the paintings were done by women, you could come to the conclusion that the men were out hunting, so they only had time to contribute to 25% of the painting. Or you could come to the conclusion that the women were so much better at hunting that they had 75% more time to paint. Anyway... I think this study, outside of the age and gender conclusions, is at least the proof that anything posted socially, be it a cave wall or Instagram, never truly goes away, and you're likely revealing more than you think you are. Moving on, but actually backwards in time, to our first ever permafrost critter roundup. Roundup may be misleading. These critters aren't moving fast. They're frozen, after all. A recent discovery from the Siberian permafrost is a rare one. Actually, that's an understatement. It's the only one. A mummified or perhaps permafrost-bitten yet fully intact cave bear, a lost relative to the modern brown bear, was just discovered. Cave bears are so named because the partial remains of bears that have been discovered are commonly found in caves. One cave in Romania had the remains of over 140 different cave bears. And, of course, cave bear is exactly what people want to hear. The bulk of the human population isn't going to walk through a museum door to see the uh, daisy bear or the savanna bear exhibit. No, they're not. They're going to step right up, folks. The giant cave bear is on display. That gets butts through the door. And then they'll learn that the cave bear was indeed a big bear, but not all that much bigger than some of our biggest bears still roaming the earth. Cave bears are estimated to have been about 11 and a half feet in length, which is a big darn bear, don't get me wrong, but you're not exactly going to think a 10-foot-tall Alaskan brown bear is a pushover, right? Now, what makes the cave bear really scary is a hypothesis published in the Journal of Quaternary Science, which suggests that they may have been vegan. As in, they had a plant-based diet. If you have ever been around a vegan at a social function, you know what I mean. 
Of course, I may just be too sensitive. After all, I work at a company called Meat Eater. This uh, pickiness when it comes to food is called specialization. The necessity of a large animal to fuel itself solely on plants may have been why the cave bear only lived for a relatively short time, between 40 and 20,000 years ago. In the study evidence for herbivorous cave bears, the research team searched for isotopes within the bones of cave bear samples and came up with zero evidence of meat consumption. This was a small sample size, and I'm willing to bet we'll know a lot more about cave bear diet when this whole frozen bear that was recently discovered gives up its stomach contents. For the record, to my vegan audience, I think you're great, and I truly do not care if you consume animal products or not. Just, you know, don't judge me on my diet. Moving on to critter number two in our permafrost critter roundup. We have already covered the nearly intact wolf pup, some call a possible missing link in the path to the domestication of dogs. This was taken from the permafrost earlier last year. Here's an update for you. Recent stomach analysis of the pup revealed the last meal of this 14,000-year-old possible domestic dog, and I bet you just can't guess it. It's a piece of hide, complete with hair, from a woolly rhinoceros. Imagine a modern-day rhinoceros with a little bit better fashion sense. It's interesting to think that this missing link pup was chewing on woolly rhino while our upright female ancestors used red ochre to paint on cave walls after a quick successful hunt. Lord knows what the men were doing. These permafrost-related findings are truly incredible. And yes, they will solve riddles that have recently come up put an end to some level of speculation while we come up with more questions surrounding what came before us, which is great. It's cool, and to touch back on our possibly vegan cave bear, it does sell tickets, or get clicks. But let's not move too quickly. The fact that these specimens, these treasure troves of answers and more questions, are being found in not-so-permafrost, as in the permafrost is melting. As in, as the permafrost melts, greenhouse gases that exacerbate climate change are released. Human-caused climate change is rapidly changing our world. And as with all things human-caused, we need to look harder and take more responsibility for finding ways, changing our ways, to help mitigate climate change and the effects thereof. According to NASA, at the end of the last ice age, the Earth's average temperature was only 5 to 9 degrees cooler than now. Doesn't sound like a lot. But during that ice age, when the temperature was just 5 to 9 degrees cooler on average, a sheet of ice covered much of North America 3,000 feet thick. That ice age ended only about 12,000 years ago. 12,000 years is nothing in geologic time. But listen to this spread. The Earth's average temperature will rise 2.5 to 10 degrees in the next 100 years. We had a 5 to 9 degree change in a span of about 12,000 years. I'm no accountant, but even I can tell that ratio is out of whack. If you're familiar with the absolutely fantastic comedy Forgetting Sarah Marshall, there is a famous singer character, Aldous Snow, played by Russell Brand. He's got this hit song called We've Got to Do Something. It's funny. It's, uh, I would call it pointless 
the refrain is, we've got to do something over and over again. Outside of the refrain, there is, of course, not even a vague idea as to how to do something. I don't want to be that person. The simplest way to be involved in issues like this one and a bajillion others is to vote. And after you do that, continue to be an active citizen. Meaning, if you vote red, green, or blue, these folks need to be reminded of how to act. Unfortunately, constantly. If your vote didn't result in your pick winning, then you need to be even more active in telling whoever did win what matters to you. It's very simple. It's a very light lift. I pester our elected officials to no end, and the actual writing and phone calls and petition signing maybe takes up to 30 minutes a month. If we don't tell and continue to tell our elected officials what is important, somebody else will. As we move into these inevitably contentious election months, the real nitty-gritty and results are delivered, the griping and the bitching will commence in full swing. Calmly ask, did you vote? You have the right to participate, you have the right to not participate. But if your choice is to not participate, you also waive the right to complain. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Moving on to the Alaska Desk. Audio and video released yesterday by the Nonprofit Environmental Investigations Agencies, or the EIA, 
show chief executives of the Canadian Pebble Partnership and its parent, Northern Dynasty Minerals, bragging about their backdoor connections to high-ranking politicians, directly contradicting public statements and official permit applications in regard to the size and duration of the proposed pebble mine in southwest Alaska. While the developers have constantly promised a small mine operating for no more than 20 years, including on their Clean Water Act permit application, two EIA investigators posing as potential investors painted a wildly different picture. What they captured were comments that directly contradict the testimony submitted to Congress, summed up as Pebble has no current plans in this application or in any other way for expansion, for example. These Pebble tapes also revealed the Pebble Partnership's previously undisclosed aspirations to use the roads and infrastructure built for the Pebble Mine to establish a massive mining district throughout the Bristol Bay region and across western Alaska. The Donlin Mine, an approved and permitted large-scale gold mine to be located on the Kuskokwim River near Bethel, 175 miles north of the Pebble Deposit, could immediately become viable if they built a road connecting the two mines. Most of that land currently exists as untrammeled wilderness, a veritable paradise for hunters, anglers, and the folks that just plain live off the land. This development and associated pollution could crush the flourishing commercial, recreational, and tribal subsistence salmon fishing economy in the region, valued at $1.5 billion per year. Pebble execs were caught bragging to the undercover investigators of their cozy relationships with the White House, Alaska Governor Mike Dunleavy, Alaska Senators Murkowski and Sullivan, the Army Corps engineers and EPA regulators, as well as other political appointees in the Trump administration. Many of these relationships appear to have been bought with intensive lobbying efforts and massive campaign contributions. It was implied that the shaky economic ground that Alaska's government is built on is in need of the Pebble Mine. The Pebble executives made it clear that they also feel in control of Alaska's Senate delegates, including Senator Lisa Murkowski, chairwoman of the Senate Natural Resources Committee. Despite the confidence in their political position and connections to insiders at the EPA and Army Corps, they seemed a bit baffled by the inner workings of the Trump administration especially their recent dismissal of Pebble's Clean Water Act permit. They are, however, confident that the current administration's EPA will not veto their project. The Pebble Partnership did not reply to a request for comment, but spokesperson Mike Heatwell called in to question the legality of these surreptitious recordings to the Anchorage Daily News. He says, in quote, I do not think that any time an interview from a made-up investigative agency misrepresents who they are when they schedule an interview, then secretly tapes the interview without the knowledge of their subject, and then goes on to obscure their identity after the interview is broadcast, you have to know there are some pretty questionable ethics at play. I certainly agree with Pebble spokesperson Mike Heatwell. It is much better when people, even entities that are made up of groups of people, are just straightforward. They can look you in the eye and tell you who they are, what they're up to, what their intentions are. I think that's a great point, Mike. Mike goes on to say, We don't know who has paid them or who they work for. We certainly intend to find out, though, and to determine if any laws were broken by this despicable and abusive tactic. I gotta say, I like Mike. Backdoor dealings? Misrepresentation? 
who is paying for who, are despicable and abusive? You said it, man. We should go after people like this. Especially the groups of people that make up huge entities. I'm all for larger repercussions. We gotta follow this guy's lead. Executive Director of the Environmental Investigations Agency, Alexander Von Bismarck, claims that his organization didn't break any laws when they captured the videos in August and September of 2020. Northern Dynasty Pebble Partnership CEO Tom Collier submitted a letter of resignation, which, I gotta tell you, is a bigger deal than you think it is. Anyone on Pebble Partnership's team that could stick around long enough to see this mine happen stood to gain financially in a major, major way. So, if one of the largest food resources in the U.S., clean water, and sustainable jobs are something you are into, it is time to contact your congressional representatives and tell them to get on the EPA's case and veto the Pebble Mine proposal. Get a hold of Senators Sullivan and Murkowski and let them know that the reason you spend money in Alaska is for the hunting and fishing. Remember, you can be pro-mine and anti-pebble mine. In fact, if you are pro-mine, you should be anti-pebble mine. As all my buddies working in mines that operate conscientiously will tell you, their jobs and their reputations are put at risk with every bad example of mining. Moving on to the seldom visited, is that a squirrel in your pants desk? to check in on wildlife smuggling. This story comes out of Florida, whose chief exports are aircraft engines, modems, and crazy clickbait crime headlines, aka the Florida man, just continues to dominate. What kind of wildlife smuggling ring might come out of Florida, you ask? Gators, turtles, pythons, tilapia? Well, sometimes, but in this case, not close. It's that great furball of the skies, the flying squirrel, Southern flying squirrels are abundant throughout the eastern U.S. and have gained popularity as exotic pets in recent years. In the wild, they're important to the ecosystem in which they thrive as they help renew forests by dispersing seeds in their feces. So, it stands to reason that removing a large number of them would never be a good thing, especially for the raptors and other animals that count on them as prey. But that's exactly what happened in Bushnell, Florida. Seized financial documents and maps indicate that Rodney Crendel Knox, the 66-year-old owner of Knox Farms, set as many as 10,000 squirrel traps across the state during the past five years in Florida, where again, it's illegal to take these animals from the wild. Knox Farm is a licensed breeding business for alligators, turtles, and flying squirrels, but he clearly got greedy and is now charged with racketeering, scheming to defraud, dealing in stolen property, and more. He is in jail awaiting trial and could face up to 30 years in prison. Five other men, including three who admitted to trapping squirrels and two alleged couriers, were also arrested and are awaiting trial. Seized financial records suggest that in recent years, Knox had one primary buyer, a company called Hyam Creative, based in South Korea. Between November 20, 2017 and April 1, 2020, Hyam Creative paid Knox $213,800 for more than 2,000 flying squirrels. I know what you're thinking here. $213,800 for flying squirrels? That's nuts. How did this operation work? 
It was a seven-step journey from Florida to South Korea. Trappers would catch southern flying squirrels in the woods of central Florida. Knox Farm would buy the squirrels, alert South Korean buyers that they're available. The buyer would wire pay, send courier to pick them up. A courier would drive the squirrels to Georgia. A new driver would then take over. That driver would bring the squirrels to Illinois, hand them over to International Pet Shipping Company. That shipping company would export squirrels, allegedly falsifying paperwork at the buyer's request. The buyer would receive the animals and allegedly sell them as exotic pets. For more on this story, please check out Nat Geo's in-depth coverage of this illegal wildlife ring. It's an amazing squirrel tale that highlights just how crazy the world of animal breeding can get. I don't know if we'll ever get a Flying Squirrel King documentary on Netflix, but I'm officially calling for someone to look into it. Moving on to the National Parks desk, this update all the way from Thailand. I'm assuming you all don't follow Thailand's natural resources and environmental minister, Valuat Silpa Archa, on Facebook. But if you do, you were in for a treat last week. Silpa Archa shared an image of a box of trash left at a national park. And in one of the best turnabout is fair play stories of all time, the box was prepared to send back to its original owners along with a note that said, You forgot something at Khao Yai National Park. The box was filled with empty plastic water bottles, potato chip bags, energy drink cans, and a variety of other treasures available at your local gas station. Varawut later cited two recent examples of bad behavior, including the offending group of tourists who left garbage in their rented tent at Khao Yai, and a group of allegedly drunken tourists who camped at Namtok Samlan National Park. The park will be very strict going forward with these lawbreakers, including blacklisting anyone who causes damage or disruption. The Bangkok Post reports that the actual punishment for littering in Thailand can be fines of up to 500,000 baht, which is about 16,000 US, and or be held in jail for up to five years. Besides these harsh punishments, the other good news is that Khao Yai's animal population has been thriving thanks to the sharp decline of tourists during the pandemic. The park has been able to restore itself. A National Park Department veterinarian told the New York Times, We are excited to see the animals are coming out. More animals, less trash. I like that balance. As I'm sure you've figured out, if you're a regular listener anyway, this story is near and dear to my heart. I've spent years trying to think of creative ways to not only pick up all the trash left in our outdoor public spaces, but to tell all the lazy culprits just how much I dislike this stuff. I thought about buying a bullhorn and lurking around campgrounds, getting a hot air balloon to stalk unsuspecting litterers, or even creating a cartoon featuring Fuzzy the anti-trash grizzly who, unlike Yogi, would leave your food alone but kick your ass if you left behind its plastic wrapper. I have had it, boo-boo. All that aside, would the U.S. ever consider a $16,000 fine for littering? And would it help? We need to practice common sense and understand that in these shared places, there can be no room for selfish behavior that might threaten the fragile relationship between us and the land on which we recreate. Anyway. Until we get this fuzzy project off the ground, we'll have to make do with stories like this one. Good on you, Thailand. That's all I've got for you this week. Thanks for listening. As per usual, 
You can always get a hold of me at A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at themeateater.com. I want to hear what I'm getting right, what I'm getting wrong, and most importantly, what the heck is going on in your neck of the woods. If you're loving what you're hearing, tell a friend or two. I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks, sent right to your door visit mauinuivenison.com that's m-a-u-i-n-u-i venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order